Welcome to Bright Spot, a podcast about the best practices for parents and clinicians who support teenagers going through mental health challenges while trying to manage school. Your hosts are Chris Schutzer, a school-based clinician in Massachusetts, and Lindsay Yamaguchi, also a school-based clinician in Massachusetts. In a dark time, we're here to help you find a bright spot. This podcast represents the opinions of the hosts and guests to the show Bright Spot. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only, and because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Privacy is of utmost importance to us. All people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect patient confidentiality. If you or your child is in a crisis, please call 911 or visit your nearest emergency department. If you're not in immediate danger but would like to speak with someone, you can reach the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988. In this episode of Bright Spot, Chris and Lindsay interview Katrina Kincaid, an alum of a Bright program, to get feedback about the student experience of going through tough times and then a Bright program. Katrina shares her mental health journey and offers advice to current Bright students and their caregivers. Katrina is currently Miss Massachusetts in the Miss America competition and a news reporter for WBZ CBS Boston. Enjoy the show. Hey, Lindsay. Hey, Chris. How's it going? It's going good. How about you? Good. I'm coming off April vacation, good vacation, feeling refreshed. A little tired, but, you know, feeling good, feeling ready for the rest of the school year. This is that time where I can't help myself, but when I come back, I count the weeks. Oh, yeah, for sure. I don't know what it is about this time of the year specifically where it's just, I want to know. So I did that this morning. I was like, all right, eight weeks. This is definitely home stretch time. That's it. Wow. Yeah, this is home stretch time, everyone. We're almost there. You know, again, I don't want to be too Massachusetts centric because I know we have listeners from other places in the country, but we're talking no snow days this year. So this is what happens when there's no snow days. Did you have any? We had none. Zero. I know. Wild. Yeah. There, I know some districts had at least one, but we had zero. So yeah. I think that's the first time in my career that's happened. It's yeah, same. pretty same. bananas. Mm-hmm. But we won't make this a podcast about so yeah, I know we wanted to talk a little bit before we introduce the segment that we did with our guest. And actually, I want to do something logistic first. I apologize to our listeners, but in the recording that you're going to hear coming up, there are some sound issues. It's the first time we've had that. It's because sometimes when we bring on a guest, they don't have the same setup that we do. So you're going to hear some clicking and clacking, and you might even hear some sound changes. But Lindsay, I want to throw it to you to introduce what we did. So... Tell us. We got to do something super cool. It was a privilege for me just to be a part of listening to one of your students and you and chiming in here and there. But tell me what inspired this episode. Yeah. So I think from the beginning, we wanted, our goal was to try to make this podcast, not just for parents, but for students. And so when we thought about having a student on, I immediately thought of this person. She was a pleasure to talk to. She was a student of mine years and years ago in my Bright program, and 
Her story is unique for sure. And I think it's something also that a lot of people can relate to. So I encourage if you're a student, if you're a parent, she shares some good advice for parents and kind of what her experience was like with the adults in her life. This is an episode for everyone. Yeah, it was so nice. This is one of the best parts of the job, I think, just watching alumni kind of go out into the world and become themselves. So I loved talking with her and it was great that you got to join us, Chris. And I hope everybody enjoys our episode with Katrina. Yeah. So just before I spin it off to that, for me, I just wanted to say the coolest part was actually just getting to hear what it's like on the other side. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because I think one of the hardest things, and we do talk about this a little bit, is just it's really tough when you're in that moment to feel like it's not the entirety of your world. And imagining how things can still turn out for the better is difficult. The fact that she went through such a time and then still talks about it like this and so openly, it was just such a privilege to listen to her. Mm -hmm. uh, so thank you for bringing her. I think we can go on with the show. So everyone enjoy this recording of Lindsay and my conversation with Katrina Kincaid. Hi, everyone. Welcome. We are thrilled today to have an alumni of a bridge program here with us to talk about their experience. And so I want to give a warm welcome to Katrina. Thank you so much, Katrina, for being here. We really appreciate you talking with us. And we hope that this episode can be one that not just parents might listen to, clinicians, but really most importantly, students, maybe if you are yourself right now in a bright program, if you've been in one, if you're struggling with your mental health, this episode is really for you. So Katrina, hey, hey. <laughs> I want to start from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Can you remember back? I know you're long past high school. Many yeah. years ago, yes. Many years ago, you're an old lady. <laughs> but um, do you remember what the start of high school was like for you? Like, like what were some of your expectations, your hopes? You're this brand new ninth grader. What do you put yourself back there? What do you remember? So, okay, so I really don't remember a lot, but I recently attribute that to I found okay, so I realized I was really excited going into high school, like pre high school actually starting, like just changing up from middle school. I didn't love middle school a lot, I was kind of anxious in middle school, and so then I remember just all the possibilities that I was thinking could happen in high school. There were more activities to do, like more ways to explore myself and just all the classes that were options. So I was really excited going into middle school. But then my brother, my older brother reminded me that my parents, so my parents separated when I was in high school. And apparently that happened the first week of high school. Wow. Yeah. And I did not remember that that, like I told my photographer who I was working with at work today, I said, if you asked me when my parents split up, I would tell you, I knew it was in the beginning beginning of high school chronologically not junior or senior year but I had no recollection of what went down or how that happened anymore that's a huge transition yeah. on top of a huge transition <laughs> yeah. yeah so what else do you remember about high school like classes your socially 
when you yeah. were Yeah, I remember having this transition from the middle school friends. You know, Wellesley was interesting because we went from seven elementary schools down to one middle school. And then that's when you started doing activities that kind of molded a lot of people to see where you were going to land, so to speak, you know, in high school, what things you're going to be into. And then going into high school, I remember I kind of had solidified a group of friends who had the same interests as me. I knew I was into chorus. I was into theater. I was kind of in, in that group setting more than I was in like sports or anything. So I remember being more with the creative kids and knowing that that was going to be fun, you know, and having like a good solid group of friends and being like, okay, we're all into the same thing. We're all mm-hmm. interested in the same stuff and excited to see kind of where that took us. Because I remember looking up to a lot of the kids who were in the creative and the theater arts program and being like, okay, we could be like those kids and mm-hmm. being really excited about that. So it sounds like you had a lot of hope. You were excited socially. Things were feeling like, yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, the small minor detail of your parents getting divorced. (laughs) Small minor minor detail, but you were able to get excited for that. Yeah, I was. I was. Yeah. You mentioned Wellesley. So I know you. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just put that out there. And what... Because I don't think I met you until sophomore year? It was my sophomore year. year. Sophomore yeah. Year. Yeah. So when did things shift for you? What were some of the first signs or things you noticed that things might not be going okay? Yeah. Yeah. So I remember, well, I remember like I was put into therapy after my parents separated. Mm-hmm. They made the decision of being like, I think that's what people do with their offspring they put them in therapy if they separate so I did that and so I was already seeing a therapist and I remember just having to deal with that because I was very involved with my parents separation and so I remember I went the freshman year with that heaviness and having to navigate kind of high school with that and then Hannah who was my friend at school so Hannah was the girl my year class of the class of 2015 who died in the skiing accident so I was friends with Hannah And I remember being like, oh, another blow. Like, okay, that kind of sucks. And then sophomore year, I was like, let's start fresh. (laughs) We've grieved. We've worked through things. Like, great. And then things were just off. Like, things weren't, weren't the same. And I wasn't catching up the same way as I thought I should in classes. I loved English and reading. And I wasn't doing papers. Mm-hmm. I realized that I stopped reading books and I love reading. I loved, loved, loved reading English. I was always in honors and I just stopped reading books. So you weren't reading English. Yeah, I stopped doing the, in the most classic, you know, how do you know your kids aren't doing well mentally? I stopped really liking the things that I really liked Mm. so I remember there was this one paper I think it was called author thesis Mm -hmm. and you had to read a certain amount of books by an author and then kind of give a gist of their repertoire and I spark noted the whole thing confidently I confidently thought like this is gonna pass I'll get through this and then I remember the teacher calling me out for it and I was like Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. As a student, and I knew you as a student who cared a lot about doing well academically and you wanted to be a really good student. 
that I've noticed that can typically for kids be like the first sign that maybe something's not going right or feeling well, that they're academic functioning, you know, just, yeah, you don't have the energy. You don't have like this, the stamina yeah, or, or interest or motivation. Like you may be right, right. Oh my gosh. I remember being into the author, right? Like I was into, I was into the readings and I was into what we were learning, but I just didn't feel like doing it outside of school. Mm-hmm. I, and then I stopped doing as many work assignments and then I was getting in trouble for not doing my homework, which made me anxious. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, I don't want to talk to anybody because I was at the same time in this position in Metco that I'd been in since I was a kid where I was very much used as like a great example of the program. <laughs> and I remember mm-hmm. when I started feeling like I wasn't doing well, I was like, oh no, I can't tell anyone. Yeah. So by the way, listeners, it's Chris. I've been sitting in the back seat here mostly just because I didn't know Katrina before today. And I'm so thrilled to be talking to her right now. But Katrina, you just gave me a question. I hear a lot about this with expectations for students. I think a lot of kids really worry about being a burden. And I wondered if you might expound on that a little bit more. Like the way you said that you were kind of a shining student, an example, that adds pressure, but does that make it harder to ask for help? Walk me through what that was like for you a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I felt like I couldn't tell anybody that I was struggling because I felt like I had helped build up this shining star, this of what I was supposed to be, what people expected of me. And that if I had let anyone know that I was struggling, the program looked like a failure and my success would be questioned. And I just remember being too afraid of that instead of afraid of what could happen if I didn't take care of that. So it was more of like looking at the immediate and what I worked up in my head really of what could go wrong. And I ended up telling my dad that years later because, you know, a lot of times parents are like, was I not there to support you? And and I was like, it literally was my own head sabotaging myself and thinking, okay, if I tell somebody that like, I'm not doing very well, that the program doesn't look well, like this, more things than just I look bad. And that is what made me hesitant to reach out for help a lot of the time. And most of the time until I was like, very much, hello, I need help. Mm. So not only it sounds like, did you have this pressure of like, I don't want to disappoint people. Because sometimes we hear from students, like they don't want to disappoint the adults in their lives, mm-hmm. right? So there was that, but then layered on top of that as a student of color in the Metco program, you didn't want to disappoint this whole program. Oh yeah. My dad was the president of the parent Wellesley Metco coalition. You know what I mean? His daughter mm-hmm. can't have mental health problems and suddenly not be doing well. And I felt that even though who said that, you know, mm-hmm. no one said that. Mm -hmm. I just that's just a pressure I put on myself and then I just realized slowly that I was spiraling and I have a mentee right now who's a senior and she's kind of going through the same things I'm seeing I had a terrible breakup and I said to her that so many times I think one of the biggest problems that we have with youth is that adults discount their problems a lot in like a way where we'll say like oh just wait till you get to college. Like you think that's bad. You don't know about taxes. Whereas with 
youth and teenagers, like that problem can genuinely be the biggest problems and the biggest emotions you have ever had to face and you've ever had to work through. And if you're at a tipping point where you're stressed because of school, you're anxious, and then your boyfriend dumps you, <laughs> like it's going down. It's And that ship is sinking immediately. And I remember saying to myself, I hate feeling happy because I feel like that means something bad's about to happen. And then shortly after that, I was in a mental hospital. Mm. I'm so glad that you got some support eventually. Yeah. It sounds like it was torture to kind of have to go through that process of like being able to get some support. Do you think your parents or adults who were close to you noticed that things were off for you? How were they responding to oh. you? No one knew. I was I was the best hider, unfortunately. So the night that I went to a mental hospital, I asked my mom just to take me to the ER. The only reason I knew that that was a viable option of someone who I could even talk to who wasn't my therapist, who called me when she found out to say what happened, because even she was shocked, was because I had friends who had gone to mental hospitals before me. And mm -hmm. I had seen them get help. And I just remember asking my mom and being like, can you take me to the ER? And she was like, why? And I was doing my U.S. history homework on my floor. And I remember being like, I just something, I don't like it. I Something's off and I can't do this every night anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I went and I was very open at the hospital with being like, I know, the, I know the help I need. I know I'm not getting it. And I don't want to tell any other adult other than you, stranger, because you have mm -hmm. no expectation of who I am. And that's- Can I just have a moment? to just tell you like that story is so filled with courage. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so cool to hear that. And I don't mean to say that in the wake of the pain that you must've been in, but for you to have reached a point where you needed to do that and you found the strength to do that. It's such an honor even just to be listening to that because it's really powerful the way that you did that. I think, I think that a lot of times for kids who are in my position, is I think that we don't realize how positively impacted we are by how much we lean on our friends when we can't lean on adults. Mm. And I think that that, even if it's not in the way where we acknowledge it at the time, I remember, and unfortunately, but fortunately, after I had gone and then come back out and was like, what's up, guys, I got help. And this is, this is really great for me. I think I had two or three more close friends who went within the span of then me graduating. And they were like, Katrina did it. <laughs> Katrina <laughs> went in. <laughs> and so like, let's like normalize that a little bit because we know who Katrina is and she's backing out and now doing all the things that she wanted to do. So like, it's okay to take a pause from whatever is burdening you to get help so that you're here for the future. Mm -hmm. Yes. Can you say that again? <laughs> to take a pause for the things that are traumatizing you now so that you're here for the future. Yes, I love that. <laughs> Thinking about your friends, how are your friends responding then? What sort of things were you talking about with your friends and what were they saying to you? I really, I'm going to say I'm, I was the master BSer. No one knew. I really did get into that hospital and had a certified therapist. <laughs> low-key cussing me out because, because she was so shocked my parents were shocked my friends I called my best friend still my best friend to this day I call her on the payphone they have on the wall 
And I'm like, you'll never guess where I am. And she's like, where? And I'm like, the loony bin. And she's like, what? No one knew. Literally, mm-hmm. absolutely anybody. But I was taking in everything that was around me mm-hmm. because I was still in the the feeling that, okay, if I'm going to do this, I have to do it myself. Like, I can't. I can't tell anybody till it's over. Mm-hmm. So what then was that like for you to be in a place where you were letting things out and accepting oh, it was exhilarating. <laughs> <laughs> the food was terrible. But... <laughs> but for the first time I felt like I was around people who were openly unfortunately also there to let things out you know and I and I remember feeling like for the first time like I'm not crazy I remember there was a girl who was like a star cheerleader on her team at whatever school she went to there was another girl in a theater program who was doing great I was like oh my god it's not just me like Mm -hmm. it was it was freeing to finally let myself understand it not just from like a oh my friends you know because you know your friends you know like you can see it sometimes if you're in the space where your friends who go to mental hospitals where you're like I know what your life is like so sure but when you're there with strangers who you have no comparison other than what they tell you about their lives and you're like me and you are not too different which means I am certainly not alone we're just the ones who got to come here Mm. and that made me feel so much better I think one of the things you're highlighting for me is just how much it's human nature to hide how we're feeling when it's not good because we want to present the space to the world and you can be anybody who is just doing absolutely anything you can just to portray that image that you want put out into the world Mm -hmm. and you can be doing horribly underneath but it's the fight or flight instinct. And if you're really good at it, and Katrina, it sounds like you might be, you know, like the LeBron James of, of, of that skill. But, you know, if you, if you have that ability, then you can hide it from people until you're ready to face it, but at, at a great cost, you know? Oh, um, at an extreme cost. I mean, what was I, my grades were tanking? Like, as Lindsay said, I was never someone who wasn't motivated to do well in school. I wanted to. I just had internal demons that I just could not get through myself because I wasn't taught ever how to handle anything like that before. Mm. It was just always like, go. And part of that was the family structure. A lot of times with families of color too, we just don't talk about mental health a lot, but it was also the school. Like we didn't talk about mental health Mm. when I went through Wellesley Public Schools a lot. So it was kind of this twofold thing where I I had to put it on me because I felt like other than obviously seeing a therapist, which I just thought, oh, I'm just here to talk about my parents. (laughs) We're not here for me. We're here for my parents, (laughs) (laughs) ex-me. I thought that that combo made me kind of afraid to branch further of telling anybody anything Mm -hmm. was wrong. Yeah, I like how you said that. It's not like there was something wrong with you because you couldn't share what you were feeling. It's like you didn't know how to do that. Like you were never taught how to do that. And it's not some thing that you weren't sharing your feelings. It wasn't something that you were taught growing up. No, Um, I don't think we live in a society. Now we do more. I love like Gen Alpha and how open they are on like Gen Z, but we don't live fully in a society where it's open and okay to talk about your negative feelings 
and talk about how to cope with them. It's one thing to take the first step of telling people the negative feelings, but then also if you're in an untrained society that doesn't know how to help you even deal with those, how do you take that next step? Mm -hmm. Because the truth is everyone has mental health. We all have mental health. We all are supposed to feel a range of emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, when you're not quite sure how to manage kind of those negative emotions, it can feel overwhelming for sure. And just before, Lindsay, you start to transition to the experience of bridge, what you just said makes me think a lot about how it's so much more fun when somebody comes up to you and says like, hey, how are you doing? You want to be like, I'm doing great. You know, like I got all these amazing things going on in my life, like almost the Facebook and oh my God, I'm dating myself because nobody's on Facebook anymore, but <laughs> the Instagram thing. But in real life, you don't want to air out the negative stuff. You want to air out the good stuff. So yeah, you guys are. It's a highlight definitely. reel. Social media is just a highlight reel. No one, op- I give applause to people who are openly talking about the issues they are facing and, and like daily. Like, I have friends from high school who are constantly posting them crying on social media. And I'm always like, good for you, because I still won't. I'll talk openly about mental health all the time and my struggles. You still go to get the best of the best on this page. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm open about that. That is just the best of the best. Right. Yeah. You acknowledge it's not all of it. It's just the best of the best. How exhausting that would be if I posted every time. No. (laughs) Um, I'm sort of curious, Katrina, I experienced this in real time with you, obviously you being a part of bridge. So I'm so interested to hear what it was like for you coming back to school and joining bridge and what was that like for you i think well at first it was shocking because i didn't know about bridge so i think at first i was shocked that there was even a place for people who were like me you know who one were coming out of various circumstances where you were just gone for two plus weeks but a lot of people who were in there because of like mental health issues so I think I was one shocked that there was this place that nobody knew about or at least not nobody but you know the majority of us didn't know about and then two it made me feel comfortable again as if not in the not in the extreme way but like when I was in the hospital because I remember coming in and being like she's in here that's why she's been gone and I was like oh my god me and her are the same like it normalized mental health again and I was like I don't feel alone there's a whole room here full of people who of various ages, because I was still only a sophomore, like of various ages who were gone and, and going through their own mental health struggles. And I think it made me feel comfortable coming back to school, knowing that if I ever got comfortable or felt like I was in situations where I was singled out or something, I knew there was a place where I felt welcomed and I felt comfortable and not like isolated because of my mental health. I'm so glad. That's the hope. <laughs> It worked. <laughs> and there was fidget toys. There, yeah, that's right. Can you talk a little bit about what healing looked like for you after you came back? Yeah, I think that it was a lot of recognizing what signs, like one, what stressed me out, right? Like recognizing what made me anxious and getting kind of to the root of stuff. So first it was that mental component of acknowledging how much burden and how much extra stress I just put on myself and then feeling what those feelings felt like when they happened Mm. 
and then how to deal with them in the educational environment Mm -hmm. and not being afraid to let people know if there was a struggle right so I remember there were times where I was just like this is so much homework for me buddies (laughs) like I just got back from a long stay somewhere else where I bear where I ran the classroom so we got to dial it back and I remember giving myself grace Mm. was the thing that probably helped me the most coming back and with bridge is I felt like you and Adam were people who gave us grace when a lot of times pre mental health struggles and if you go away voluntarily or not voluntarily for it like you don't believe that people are going to give you grace Mm. and I think that I remember healing started happening to me when I was like oh like there are people who who won't be mad at me because I can't finish this Mm -hmm. like or who people who will understand why I why I'm asking for something and since other people were giving me grace in the like in the bridge world I was able to do that with myself I love that I love that you might not remember because this is maybe too specific a question but do you remember certain things you would say to yourself internally to allow yourself to give yourself grace do you know what I mean were there things that you were trying to I remember specifically reminding myself that we could do it tomorrow I remember that being a thing because I remember when I got back we would do these planning schedules right of like what classes I was ready to go back to like what amounts of work I was able to like take on and I remember one of the biggest stressors I had pre-bridge and pre-mental hospitals I felt like I'd be up to like one in the morning two in the morning and I woke up at 5 30 for school because the MECO program because I was like everything has to be done right now like and I remember at one point just thinking when I was able to make schedules and kind of figure out how to plan more stuff I was like something can be done tomorrow everything doesn't need to be done right now and that's what kind of helped me compartmentalize you can have fun at theater practice tonight And not worry about this thing because you have a week to do it. You don't have to have that on the forefront of your mind right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So kind of prioritizing joy. Yeah, (laughs) prioritizing joy, you know. And I I don't get me wrong. I had some fun times in high school. (laughs) And I was like freshman through senior year. But I think that there was always on the back of my mind the stress of like, oh my God, but I have this thing. Like, can I have that much joy? Because what if something bad's about to happen because I didn't do my homework today and then my teacher sends me an email and I'm going to explode. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was something that I remember just being like, oh, it's not that serious. Mm, Taking a a step back. back. You've already shared pieces of wisdom. And it sounds like you currently have a mentee who's in high school who, what a lucky person to have you as a mentor. But what would you say to a student who is starting their first day in a bridge program or who is just struggling with their mental health in school? I think my biggest thing, and I told my mentee this, is give yourself permission to say no. Whether that be with yourself or with others, I think that a lot of pressure that I was holding was the fear of saying no I can't do that. You know, oh, no, I'm not capable of doing that right now because of what people would think about me. Mm -hmm. And, or no, I'm not comfortable with doing that. I think that when you're in a position where you're trying to, at least in my scenario, prove something to everybody or keep up a certain persona for people, it's very hard to say no. Mm -hmm. And that makes you then not prioritize yourself and your health and what you need. 
And I think that the moment that you realize that you are always and forever going to be your own advocate in life, that that means that you have to start saying no to things, whether that be, you know, no, I can't, I don't have the capacity to do this or no, I don't want to do this. I'm uncomfortable with doing this. And I think that that's, that's probably my biggest advice that I, that I wish someone had told me. Mm -hmm. Like put a protective wall around yourself. Yeah. I think it's great advice, honestly. And I think it's something that kids, especially at a high school level, struggle to do because I think students in today's age, they're taught that every little thing could be the difference between getting into college or not, you know? Yeah. It's like that quiz, if it's an 87 versus a 92, that might be it. That might be the reason they say no to you. And it's, I, I think that type of attitude makes it really hard to put yourself and your needs and your joy first. I think Lindsay is probably used to this by now about some of the ways that I swing this podcast a little back towards the academics and just the things that kids are stressed out by. Like, mm. what was it like? Do you remember producing work and the catch up? Like, did that stress you out? Talk to us a little bit about the the accessing the program in terms of the academic side, not just the emotional too. The catching up was great. Once I was in bridge, when I came back from the mental hospital, I talked to everybody about it because I loved how much help I was getting with catching up with my academics and how much people would help me talk to teachers. Cause that was my mm -hmm. biggest fear, right? Because I had just come from a point where I was afraid to talk to any adult about what was happening. And then I felt like once I had support academically, someone to come and really, I remember we would like look at my workload and schedule and figure out like what could be done. And then they'd always be like, okay, do you want to go talk to the teacher yourself or do you need someone to come with you? And I was like, you can come with me. <laughs> that's, that's fine. And that how much that just helped me knowing that there was academic support there too. Not just, I was feeling bad in class one day. And so I wanted to come fidget with a toy or I didn't want a certain class, but like that as somebody who wanted to strive academically, I truly don't think there's any ever students who don't want to do well knowing that there were people who could help me figure that out academically and emotionally was probably one of the best things that helped me end up graduating and going to the school I wanted to go to. Yeah. What would you say to students who, to Chris's point, because I hear that a lot too, like I can't drop a class because if I do that, I'll never get into college or I can't, this test is like the most important thing. What advice would you give students who are sort of in that mindset? Yeah. I, like, are they right? No. <laughs> No, they're not right. Remember, I remember I wanted to go to American University and mm -hmm. I did not have the SAT score. I was like a few points behind. I didn't have the the ACT score, a few points behind that. I wanted to go to school so badly. And there was no time. I mean, I mean, I went to mental hospital sophomore year. I was still playing catch up till senior year with what school and academics looked like for me. But I had a goal, which was to go to American University for broadcast journalism. And I forced that school to give me an interview, like one of those ones that like Georgetown does. But my school, my school was like, we don't do that. And I was like, yes, you do. So I forced my admissions counselor to do an interview with me. I submitted extra news articles, right? Like high school news articles, a fake news reel to show that I could do well. Because I was like, you know, that test didn't matter, right? Like the work I'm putting in to get into the school yeah, some schools are selective, but at the end of the day, like if you just work your butt off towards whatever your end goal is, not the four-year goal, you're going to get there no matter what school you went to. And that doesn't matter what you got 
on a one test mm-hmm. in math your first semester of junior year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, students, I ask them if it will matter in five years, this thing that they're worried about. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so hard to kind of put yourself five years ahead, you know, like it to your point. It will not matter. It, it won't. I spoke at the middle school the other day and I was like, you will forget who you sat next to in, at lunch. <laughs> you will forget the teacher you currently don't like. You will forget all that. But like what you won't forget that you need to focus on at this age is developing being a good person and being a person that makes you happy and a person that sustains you for the rest of your life because all of these tests and stuff you'll forget I don't remember a single one Mm. and I'm going to highlight this because you remember the courage right I mean Katrina like even just in this conversation I'm meeting you for the first time you don't remember the specific academic classes. You remember like, oh, this is nice having somebody come to help me. You don't remember the teachers or the grades, but you have incredible details about the night that you needed to have the courage to ask for that help, right? That's the story that you remember five years later. And that's why I think it's so cool that you had that courage, right? Um, so again, I just, I, I geek out over it. I apologize. <laughs> this, is, this is what we do, but it, it's, wow, it's it was a, it was an interesting move on my end. <laughs> that's that's for sure. <laughs> well, I imagine you shooting your hands up, like reaching for a life preserver or something in the middle of your floor with no, all. No, I was. Things. I really was. I was. Yeah. I, I know it. You know what I mean. I can visualize sitting in my room doing my U.S. history homework for the teacher I won't name because I don't like her and and it was it was so much homework I remember so much work and I was looking down and I was just like I cannot do this Mm. I won't finish this and and I remember those probably the second or third night of the same thing over and over and I was like I can't do that (laughs) anymore Mm. I and I have to be the one to get me out of this situation because I can't go to anybody else yeah and I mean and I heard that your mom was willing to take you to the ER. A superstar, right? Yeah. Like, no questions asked. Was like, sure. Maybe it's because I got injured a lot in <laughs> the same time span. I was, she was like, another concussion? But I, yeah, what a rock star, right? Of just being willing and able, no questions asked, to take your child to the ER just because mm. they said they weren't feeling well. And I remember around that time, I was getting a lot of anxiety stomach aches. And so... You know, maybe she thought, oh, it's a, it's a bad stomach ache or something. But she was mm-hmm. just like, sure. I don't think my dad came until I talked to a nurse and told the nurse what was going on. And then they were like, hmm, your parents have to be here for this. <laughs> so, I mean, that leads me kind of into my next question about what would you say to parents who are trying to support their kids who are going through hard times? Certainly, it sounds like it was really helpful that your mom wasn't like asking you a ton of questions when you asked for help. Yeah. She just kind of got you what you needed. But are there other other ways that like your parents were helpful? Or, or can you imagine like what might be helpful for a student? I think that my parents were very old school. Uh, despite the fact that my mom was the one that took me to the ER, I didn't have a great relationship with my mom. She was just very like, willing and able to help her daughter but especially at the time where I was struggling so much with my mental health like my my relationships with with adults weren't like like that right they were like a little superficial at the time so I would say though 
I, my parents were of the generation of kind of what I talked about before Mm -hmm. with the, you have to meet teenagers where they're at. And I remember, you know, having crazy, my dad always tells the story of like that breakup I mentioned to people about how it made him feel like a very terrible teenage boy. He was like, suddenly I felt the worst ever because I felt like how girls that I dumped in high school Mm. felt as I was a father sitting on this girl's bed as she's sobbing her life out. And I would just say, never minimize the pain that your children might be going through, even if it seems superficial to you because you've been through so much. Mm -hmm. At this point, or you've seen people go through so much, like they haven't gone through so much, Mm -hmm. which is great, you know, (laughs) which is, which is thankful if, you know, whatever that hardship is the biggest thing, but don't discount that because there could be, take it, take it one big thing at a time. I think that that's the biggest thing that I wish I had gotten more compassion, but I understand where it comes from. You know, like, it's not like Mm -hmm. I don't understand the generation that my my parents are from. I totally get Mm -hmm. it. I think that. We are now at a point where we can talk about how we can change that for youth today so mm-hmm. that they feel more seen. Like my mentee, I called her when, oh, it was, it was at the time when there was a bunch of school shootings happening back to back. And I remember being like, what can I do for you guys? Like as an adult, like not me personally, because I was like, you're my neighbor, but what can, what can we do? And she was like, I think we all just want to feel like you guys actually listen to us. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Like, that's all anybody wants to feel like. And when you're at a point, though, where I think I watched a thing about Demi Lovato the other day. It was an interview when she was 16. And they asked her what was happening. And she was like, oh, I've been through some heartbreaks recently. And the guy literally looks at her and goes, how hard can life be for you? You're only 16. Mm. And I was like, no, <laughs> no. Invalidation at its finest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's just yeah. start letting them get it out and tell it in the way where we understand where they're at because not pretend like we weren't there at one point and that we didn't Mm -hmm. feel like we wanted somebody to listen to us that way. Mm -hmm. That's excellent advice. Starting from a place of validation, I think you can't go wrong as a parent. No, (laughs) it sounds like you're right. Like we laugh because it's so comical, but like it's so necessary just to Mm -hmm. make sure we say it. Mm -hmm. So I guess my last question that Chris, you can jump into, but what would you say to little Miss Katrina, <laughs> like high school Katrina, if you came face to face with her, what would you say to yourself? What would you say to her today, knowing what you know? Oh, gosh. It's okay to have so many changes. I think I would say, I think I was very afraid of change and anything going not the way that I had planned it so meticulously in my head. And I think that now at the place, especially I am in my life, where I've hit my dream job by 25, I I did the dream hobby goal I wanted to do, went to Miss America and things. I think I hit a point where I looked and I was like, oh, what do we do now? I don't know. I would say to myself, it's going to be okay to go through changes. It's just part of of life. And that would have probably scared the crap out of me. (laughs) If older me had said that to little me, I'd be like, no, what changes? But I think we just need to normalize that that life changes, people change, and that's okay. You still find good, happy things in the changes that will come to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you don't always know what's gonna what's ahead, and that's it's the unknown is okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Unknown is okay. (laughs) I think that's beautiful. 
I'm imagining, because this is sort of the seat that I'm in, Lindsay, today. I'm meeting Katrina for the first time. Is it okay to share a little bit with our listeners about what you're doing in the world today? I mean, I think it's it's always good to see the other side. I'm going to let our listeners in on something that bothers me, and then I'll, and then I'll spin it to you. I have trouble with the fact that when people say it takes time, that it's true, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when, when you say, like, it's going to take some time for things to feel better, it doesn't honor the pain that someone has in that mm-hmm. minute at all. It's actually one of the most rejecting things that you can hear. So the fact that that is a true statement that in time things get better. Sometimes the best way to do that is actually just to hear and see the example. And Katrina, you are that example. So to the extent that you're willing to share with us a little bit of what you're doing now, I'd love to hear. Yeah, yeah, no, things definitely get better. <laughs> things have been, and it takes, you know, varying time, right, for what things, what better looks like, right, for certain aspects of time. Yeah, now, so when I was in high school, since I was a little kid, I wanted to be a TV news reporter. <laughs> I wanted to be a TV news reporter in Boston. And I am now doing that. I'm a TV news reporter at CBS Boston. I always wanted to compete at Miss America since I was a little girl. And I'm currently two months away from wrapping up my reign as Miss Massachusetts and having competed at Miss America this past December. And I just, yeah, I'm, I'm back in Boston. Like, I'm just doing the things that I think me in high school would be very proud that we made it there, that we did it. So I know that that's supposed to be like a crazy whirlwind year. Are you feeling ready to be done with that year? Or are you having mixed feelings about it? Like, where are you at? No, I'm so ready. I just, I tell people don't talk to me till I'm 30 now. I <laughs> I want to, I want to seclude back. I want to go away into the shadows. Um, no, it's been such a whirlwind year. It's been honestly one of the most fun years of my life. I've gotten opportunities. I, I think that younger me would have always hoped we got, you know, not, I knew who we were, so I'm not going to say that I knew we would have never gotten it, but (laughs) would have been excited that we worked hard enough to say we did it. And I think that that makes me really proud, but I'm definitely ready to step back and not have a goalpost is what I tell people. I'm, I'm learning to be okay with not working towards a goal, but working towards an ideal of how I want my life to look like. Mm, I love that. Working towards being. Just being. Yeah, exactly. I know. I said that to Lindsay. I was like, I'm just working towards just learning how to just be. Yes. I love it. Beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, Before we wrap up, Katrina, I just want to honor one more thing, getting to know you today. And this is going to date the podcast too. In baseball, I'm a baseball guy. Lindsay knows that about me. There's a player. His name is Austin Meadows. He's pretty good. He's an all-star for the, for the Tigers. He is on the IL with anxiety. And that is a big moment. It's the second player in the last, I think, like month where when he goes on the disabled list and can't play baseball, they're actually announcing, the teams are announcing the reasons is anxiety. Um, I just love that we are in a moment where more and more people are standing up and saying, hey, this is normal, guys. And actually, mental health is something you got to take care of. And I wanted to honor that I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today to do just that. Because it's not just about the experience from when you're younger. It's about being the people we want to be and representing the fact that this is something you got to take care of today. So it's so cool to have you here today. And thank you, Lindsay, for helping to set it up. Yes. Thank you so much, Katrina, for sharing your story and um, 
yeah, we just wish you like all the best. Thank you. And keep in touch. Of course. I am <laughs> at school way too much these days. So <laughs> we'll see you soon. Probably. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I really enjoy talking about how we can help help kids, but also normalize it as adults. Like you said with the baseball. Like I'm such an advocate for mental health days as adults all the time. Just because say no, right? Like <laughs> no. Just say no. <laughs> Thank you for all you're doing, Katrina. And it's great talking to you. You too. Yay. It was great. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Each podcast, we end Bright Spot with 15 seconds for you, our listeners, to take a few deep breaths. It's so important, and we know that we all need to make time for it. Get comfortable. We're going to try it now. If you're driving, do not close your eyes. In just a moment, I'm going to stop speaking and go radio silent for about 15 seconds. I'll let you know when we're done. Here we go. Until next time, take care.